What is going on, you guys? It's your boy Macklin here for episode 24 of MacBook Pro. So, wanted to kind of just jump straight into this episode. I have been reminiscing on my life a little bit recently, having some really good conversations with my mom, because we talk pretty much every single day on the phone. Yes, I know, it's really cute. I can't help it, it's just part of my identity. So. In today's episode, I wanted to focus on a really special time in my life, which was when I was working in Mauritius. It was uh, the first time I had ever left the United States. I took an internship offer on this really beautiful tiny island to the east of Madagascar. And I did a little bit of research before um, this episode so I could give you guys something of factual value rather than just giving you rough estimates and uh, you know this information that I found online um, the source was a not very well-known like informational site but they're becoming really popular it's called Wikipedia and I found the information and I'm hoping that it is correct so according to Wikipedia, the population of Mauritius is a little over 1.2 million people. There are a few different demographic uh, demographic. There are a few different ethnic groups that live in Mauritius. Uh, there are um, Mauritians that are of Indian descent. There are Mauritians that are of African descent. Uh, Mauritians that are of Chinese descent, and then Mauritians that are of French descent. So Mauritius has a very rich history when it comes to their colonization. They were colonized by quite a few different empires. Uh, The first was Portugal, then there was uh, Holland, followed by the French, and then the British, and it finally became independent in the late 1960s. And just for a little bit of context, um, in the United States, it's not uncommon to hear that somebody has never left the country before. In fact, um, I actually know quite a few people still that have not left the U.S., and I don't know when they will. But I guess just because it is pretty expensive to leave and not, there aren't really like, there's no urgent reason, I guess, why you would leave unless you wanted to see um, something else and maybe travel somewhere. So yeah, just wanted to put that into context. And so it was my first time ever leaving the country and I went to Mauritius, which was 9,000, sorry, which is 9,273 miles away from from New York where I was living. If you convert that to kilometers, it's 14,923 kilometers from New York where I was living. So it was a pretty big jump, I would say. But what's really weird is like at the time, I didn't even think it was that crazy. How it came to be was um, I was applying for internships like any good American would do and trying to find them in New York City because I had already 
lived in New York for a summer interning, and I grew up so close by. But I was attending the University of Michigan and was pretty open, I guess, to where I would end up interning. I'm pretty sure also at that time I was like applying to internships all over the United States. I've always done that. I've always um, opened up, I guess, possibilities. So I was applying to advertising agencies pretty much in all of the, like, I don't want to call them second tier, but maybe like lesser well-known cities, like even Kansas City, um, some cities in Texas, uh, yeah, just lesser known cities. And every single company without fail rejected me. So I was, you can say I was like a little bit worried that I wasn't going to find something that I would like. And I finally got creative and I thought about different people that I knew from my life. And so I reached out to one of my friends who's actually from Mauritius. He's this really good dude. And I'd met him through one of my other friends. They went to college together. And so I reach out kind of like not expecting anything because I knew his brother and his dad uh, owned their own companies. So when I uh, reached out to his to him, I asked, you know, are there any opportunities at either of their companies? And he was like, dude, this is so cool that you actually like are considering this. Um, let me check in with them and I'll get back to you. So a couple of days later, he gets back to me and he's like, my brother's interested in having a conversation with you. Is that something that you'd want to do still? I was like, absolutely. So we jumped onto a call. It was just me and his brother. I'd never spoken to him before. And he was asking me what kind of internship I would want. And I had no idea. So I was like, I'm, I'm pretty open to anything. And he was like, okay, well, um, you know, I have a travel agency here and, you know, we, we would definitely need somebody for the marketing team. And so I hadn't really spent too much time marketing at all, but I was like, okay, let's do it. Like I would 100% be interested in, in giving that a go. So he asked me some questions. I guess I answered them satisfactorily enough. And then he told me that I got the internship and he was like, we can figure out a place for you to stay and yeah, you don't have to worry. So I still need to get there. And the problem was that I was a poor college student and I didn't really receive much financial support from my family because they couldn't afford it. So I was pretty much on my own in that way. I'd always, I've always worked throughout college. I think almost every, almost every university that I was at, I applied for for like part-time jobs and stuff. Sorry, I had to take a water break. <laughs> so anyway, I found out that there was a scholarship at the, at the University of Michigan for any students that were bachelor's students looking for an internship abroad, which was perfect. And so I applied for the scholarship and the conditions were like, if you get the scholarship, the only condition that you need to fulfill is that you write a monthly, I think it was like a monthly or bi-monthly blog post about your experience. And there were like four or five assignments along those lines. 
but it was really loose in terms of like how they structured it. It was just like answer this question. Didn't really matter how long the blog post was. So I got the scholarship. They gave me 5,000 USD. I applied for my passport. I also applied for, um, or I, sorry, I should say I also booked my flight there. And I just remember like as I was booking my flight, I had never, because I had never left the country before, I didn't know if I was doing it wrong. It just felt like it was too easy to get on a flight to another place. And so as I'm like going through the um, process of buying the ticket, I keep like going back on, you know, different pages to make sure that I didn't misfill something out or that I didn't forget to like check a box or that, you know, I didn't, you know, mistype some information. And so, yeah, I was uh, pretty worried the entire time because I was like, this is way too easy. And then when I finally did book the the ticket, I think it was like thirteen or fourteen hundred dollars, which was super expensive. Holy shit! I thought I was gonna die. Anyway, um, once it was all set and done, I was very excited. I started to tell my friends and my family members, and everyone said the same thing. They were like, "That's amazing! What the hell is Mauritius?" And I was like, oh, that's a good question. Um, and then I would just like pull up information and show them photos and stuff and try to like explain it. And they were, most people were quite skeptical because they were like, there's no way that there's this like gorgeous island in the middle of nowhere that you're getting an internship on. I think, I think people assumed that I was just going to rehab and I needed to come up with like a reason that I wouldn't be in touch with them for three or four months. So, which would have been a good assumption, actually. But anyway, joking, obviously. Okay, so um, leading up to the actual trip itself, you know, as I was getting closer and closer, I was just getting so excited. And one of my best friends, um, because I didn't have a lot of money, he actually came to my rescue and he bought a suit for me. Um, Like he loaned me the money and also for uh, a watch as well, and some pants and some shoes, so that I would look presentable. And uh, you know who you are if you ever listen to this, and I really appreciate you. He's helped me countless times, and pretty much like has been my guardian angel in so many different situations. So I love this man, and uh, I would do anything for him. Okay, uh, so anyway, <laughs> as I'm kind of getting ready for this trip. Everything is coming into place. And uh, I find out that I'm going to get to stay at my friend's family's house. So that was really amazing. And I guess like anything else, you know, the day finally arrives and I get onto a plane. My mom is crying, I think, and I'm giving her a hug. And I'm like, yep, just going 9,273 miles slash 14,923 kilometers away from home. Not a big deal at all. And what's weird is I actually didn't think it was, you know, scary. I just was like, yeah, I'm doing it. And uh, the flight connected to France. So when I got to France, I stayed in the airport like any good American who has no idea how to navigate uh, other countries yet. (laughs) And I 
drank like a tremendous amount of wine. And then when I got onto the plane, I drank more wine. The flight itself, I think it was like, I want to say seven or eight hours to Paris. And then 18 hours to Mauritius from Paris. So it was really rough. Uh, it was not the probably not the right time to have been extremely intoxicated because I was pretty hungover on the flight uh, and there were still like seven or eight hours left to go. So really stupid. But those are the lessons that you are supposed to learn when you just go on casual vacations abroad. Um, I didn't learn that though until I was on a 24, 25 hour flight. Anywho, I finally arrive and this guy who is actually um, working for the company, who's my friend's best friend, he's the one that picks me up and we become really good friends that summer. So he picks me up from the airport. They lost my bags and they promised me that they would find the bags and send them to me. So when I get to my friend's place, I am, I'm actually, I think I get there and the parents, his parents aren't there. They're actually on holiday. So I'm let in by one of the maids and yes, they had maids and, but it was pretty common there. And, uh, they're like, here's your room, like, you know, make yourself at home. So I pass out probably for like a full day or two. I'm just so exhausted from that trip and the hangover. And at one point in the morning, one morning, um, someone knocks on the door and it's the maid and she's like, Hey, here you go they dropped off your, your luggage for you. So I finally had luggage and I didn't feel like I was um, homeless anymore. And then I, I started the internship. And when I got to the office for the first day, they arranged to have us, me and this other um, intern, She's she was from France. They arranged to have us uh, get like a little bit of a tour of the island and some of the properties. Because how the company was structured is that they have different offerings in the company. So they have a part of the company that focuses on luxury rentals. They have another part of the company, uh, yeah, another part of the company that focuses on like um, providing guest experiences. And then they have a last part of the company that's like more focused on pretty much like tourism in general for Mauritius. And I was working on the part of the company that was focused on the property rentals. And these places are so beautiful. It's incredible. And so they actually gave us a tour of a couple of them. And we also got pizza with the guy that heads up the um, guest experiences. And yeah, I mean, the first day was just like super easy. But this internship was actually so much work. It was It was great though. Um, but it really taught me, like, it taught me a lot about marketing. It just taught me a lot about things that I just didn't know anything about. And I had a really good time um, working with the people in the office. Uh, there was a woman that was sitting next to me. Um, her desk was, like, on the other side of this, like, little barrier. And in Mauritius, you have to understand that there's, like, the creole uh the mersian creoles so it's like you know people from 
I mean, people of African descent, but I'm pretty sure it's like the same kind of Creole that's spoken in or similar Creole that's spoken in Louisiana and Haiti. And I know in Louisiana and in Haiti, there is like a lot of superstition around voodoo. And this woman was just like a white lady with white hair who is like in her 60s. And one day she just pulls out this voodoo doll and she's like, look, look. And I look over and she's like, I got this because one of my clients, I don't like them. And I just poke this when they annoy me. So I obviously treated her very well that summer and never did or said anything that would have led her to get a voodoo doll of me as well. She was super nice. And, um, everybody in the office was like very friendly. I really enjoyed the people that I worked with and they put me on this project like super, super, uh, early on where I was responsible for doing a, like a photo shoot essentially. And now that I like understand, like I can look back and I understand now how they expected me to fit into the company. But at the time I really had no idea like what marketing was. And so they were like, yeah, you're going to be responsible for like helping with um, performance marketing. So I was like, okay, what's that? They were like, you know, Google ads, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, cool. So like, you know, I started like writing out ads for them. And then they were like, we need you to do a photo shoot. And I was like, what the fuck? Why? <laughs> I was pitching them on a bunch of different ideas. And that's how it kind of came to be. One of the things that I'd pitched them on was a commercial, like an actual uh, production. And yeah, I, I like wrote out all of these scripts um, about like, like, you know, these commercials of what it would look like for YouTube or whatever. And they were like, okay, but that's like a lot of money. What if we just did like a, a new um, campaign for our website? And I was like, okay, that's awesome. What I didn't realize though, was like that they actually expected me to do it. <laughs> so I went from being like the idea guy who just thought like I would give some good ideas and then walk away to being the one that's actually like in charge of getting props and setting up this photo shoot and everything else. Well, anyway, uh, I don't want to, you know, go too much in depth about the project itself, but I coordinated everything. I got in touch with models. I got in touch with like production company. Uh, I got all of the equipment. I started reaching out to ask people for, um, you know, props and stuff for the photo shoots, like a bicycle that we could put in the back and a canoe and this and this and this. And on the day before we're supposed to have this shoot, this woman that I had booked as a model uh, reaches out to me and she's like, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I actually no longer feel comfortable doing the shoot because I don't want to be in a shoot with another man who's pretending to be my husband. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, I'm sorry. And if this had happened to me now, I think I would have very easily said, hey, that's fine. We'll just do it so it's like you and these fake kids. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're real children, but they're not your kids. Um, but uh, instead, I was like, come on. We we agreed to this. Like, we've been talking about this for like a couple of weeks. And she's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I can't do it. And so I uh, I pulled the plug. I pulled the plug on the project. I mean, it, it really set us back. Um, and I eventually, I actually didn't even 
uh, end up finishing it. Like I did all the work to set everything up. I contacted the models. I did all the um, planning and yeah. And then this one thing happened and then I just pulled the plug on it. So, you know, people say that you shouldn't regret things um, that, that, that you can no longer control. I would say this is probably like one of the few regrets that I have in my life because, you know, it would have been really good for the company if I could have just like figured out a way to get that done. But I didn't. So anyway, um, I would say that my time in Mauritius was really, it was exciting. It was super uh, challenging there were just so many things that I had never experienced before that were presented to me. Uh, different ways of living, being in a place where a different language was spoken, um, having some of my ideas as an American challenged, because up until that point, I just took everything that I had ever been taught as like a fact. Like I had pretty much just believed that the American way was the only way to do things. And that if you didn't agree with that, you just didn't know what you were talking about. And it sounds so freaking crazy now, but like, that's just how it goes. Like when you live in a society that is so confident about, you know, like how they, um, how they feed ideas to you, it makes it very difficult for you to like ever get out of that mindset unless somebody directly challenges it because you just take everything for granted. It's like indoctrination. And I remember like there were so many times when I was on, on that island where, um, you know, my identity was pretty much like fracturing because I just didn't know how to reconcile that everything or that a lot of things that I had been taught that I had come to assume as just being facts or taken for granted uh, just weren't true. Like the idea that the United States is the best country on earth, it's like, well, in, in which way? Like, I'm not going to say that it's, that it's not a good country because again, what is good? What is bad? What are we using to measure? But it's like, how do you say that a country is the greatest country on earth? And also, how do you say a country that has such a big problem with opioids and homelessness and the government does not actually intervene and try to like fix things. How can you call that the greatest country? And then I, I go to this tiny island in the middle of the Indian Ocean and there are hyper-intelligent people like the, the Franco-Mauritians were most of the people that I, I hung out with were Franco-Mauritians, so of French descent, but also uh, a couple of my friends were Indian as well. And I just felt like at least the crowd that I was hanging out with, like everyone was super motivated, really intelligent, but they had this like laid back viewpoint that I just didn't possess at that time where they were extremely good at balancing their work. So when they went to work, like the people I worked with, they went to work at like eight o'clock in the morning and they just hustled until like five thirty or six o'clock. And when they left work, they, they left work. Like they didn't bring their work home with them. And on the weekends, I would um, hang out with a couple of the friends that I made when I was there. And none of them wanted to talk about work on the weekends. You know, they just wanted to enjoy themselves. We went boating a lot in the lagoon, it, which was super nice. Um, it was just like beautiful, clear, bluish green water. You could see right through. 
and there was this like magnificent mountain right on the coast and it was called Le Mon and um, it was just incredible how they were able to make life look so easy in a way. And so there were a few things that, um, that really changed about me that summer. Like one of the things that was really strange was how conservative the society was because everybody was super chill. But like to give an example, um, dating was really different there because it was, you know, a very small place. And so you didn't want to, I guess if you live there, you didn't want to have a reputation for being in quotes easy. Um, if you're a girl and you didn't want to be seen as like a man whore, uh, if you're a guy, you know, somebody who just like is constantly dating new people. And that's such a crazy idea for me coming from New York, because like in New York, dating is just something that you kind of, um, you kind of just, it's just part of like the culture. Like you go on dates, you meet people, whether or not you end up doing something with that person, like actually having, you know, sex with them, it's like inconsequential. But in Mauritius, like to actually like go on dates with people, it's like a big deal. And so there was this one girl that I met when I first, when I first got there and I just thought that she was really beautiful and super sweet. And I'd had like, you know, one conversation with her, but like, it wasn't easy because her English wasn't amazing. And yeah, I was like pretty, uh, I was pretty into her, but then I told my friend and he was like, yeah, that's not really like how things go here. Like if you're into her, that's, that's one thing, but you're only going to be here for like a few months. So, it, you know, from her perspective, it's probably, it's probably not going to fly. And, uh, I guess I just like didn't understand that. And also at that time I was, I just met my soon to be girlfriend. Like when I moved, you know, when I would move back from the States, I would start, a relationship in my senior year with a girl that I had just met the summer, uh, right before that summer. And so I was like also talking to her, but you know, there was nothing serious between us. Um, we'd only like hung out, I think, I think we'd only hung out once before I went to Mauritius. And so, yeah, I, um, I was pretty thrown off by that. And I was like, okay, I mean, I don't know how one dates in a, in such a small place, uh, because word gets around super quickly. So I kind of had to be careful about like what I said and who I said it about. Like if I said that I liked a girl, I needed to like be <laughs> very mindful of the fact that like it would most likely get back to her. And, um, you know, being careful is not really like my strong suit. So yeah, that was a bit of a challenge. The other thing that made Mauritius very conservative, though, was the fact that they were very intolerant on, on drugs. And at that time, I was, when I was at Michigan, I was smoking weed pretty much every single day, almost. Which I'm not saying, you know, I'm not proud of it. Um, I don't really feel one way or another about it. But I don't smoke anymore. And at that, at that time, I just remember getting there. And talking to the friend that I mentioned before, the friend of my friend who lived there, 
And I was like, hey, do you know where, where I could get weed? And he was like, uh, yeah, so if you get caught with it here, you will go to jail. And I was like, oh, <laughs> really? And he was like, yeah. Um, told me this story about one of his, uh, I guess, like classmates that got caught selling weed and was in jail for like 10 years. And it was like a very small amount of weed. But anyway, this friend of a friend also smoked and, um, or had smoked. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but had smoked at some point and was like, all right, I will, um, try to find something for you. So I ended up finding this guy that would meet me on a scooter. He would just like pull up on a scooter and then give me the weed and then immediately leave like very sketchily. And every single time that I met this guy, I thought I'm definitely going to go to jail. Like it's definitely going to be a sting operation where I get uh, arrested for having like the smallest amount of weed that you could like physically purchase. Uh, But luckily that never happened. What was also funny for me is that the exchange rate between the dollar and the Mauritian rupee was so high, but the prices were still not that great. Um, So, well, actually, maybe I I shouldn't say the exchange rate was so high. It was more just like $1 was a lot of rupees, but it it still cost a lot of rupees to like buy stuff. It was still pretty pricey for me to live there. And so um, when I would buy weed, I would give this guy like so much money. Like it looked like it was so much money, but it would be like 20 bucks. (laughs) And uh, I always felt so stupid um, carrying around cash like to to buy drugs with. And one night I went out with one of my friends and we were um, at this like small club. And while we're at the club, I asked him if he wanted to go smoke and he had driven us there. And he was like, why don't we just enjoy it? Um, We'll stay here for a little while longer and then we can go smoke later. But I was pretty bored. So I was like, come on, man, let's just go smoke. Let's just like chill. He's like, dude, it's not a good idea. But I pushed him anyway and he eventually agreed. So we get to his car and we start rolling up a joint and we're in the parking lot of this casino. And while we're in the parking lot, we see, so we have, we have our back to the edge of the parking lot so we can see the entire parking lot in front of us and there's only one exit. And so as we're rolling up this joint, we see a truck pull in, it's a police truck and they park literally like facing our car, but on an angle. So they have the lights pointed at us and I'm just sitting there and I'm just thinking, holy fuck, I'm about to go to Mauritian jail. And he like whispers under his breath. He's like, stay calm, stay calm. He's like taking the weed that he has on his lap um, and the joint and everything. And he's like putting it back onto the, into the pouch that he has. And he's just like slowly moving his hands so that his arms aren't moving. And he's like getting ready to like tuck it away, you know, just waiting for the police officers to make their move. Finally, the police officers uh, drive away from us and they just leave the parking lot and we look at each other and I'm just laughing I'm like dude that was so fucking close and he was like yeah man fuck that was way too close and he's like do you still want to smoke and I was like dude let's do it 
And he's like, okay. And he starts rolling it again. And then he immediately stops. And he's like, I don't have a good feeling about this. And he like puts it away. And I'm like, dude, what's going on? And he's like, we got to go. Starts up the car. We start driving towards the exit. When you're exiting, there's a divider between the exit and the entrance. And as we're pulling um, past like the divider as it's starting, we're like about to leave the parking lot. We see a black van with tinted windows and the words ADSU on the side of it pull in. And ADSU is their like drug enforcement agency. So they're like the ones that actually, I guess they like, they would be the ones that would arrest you if they catch you with drugs. And they're, they're pulling in and we just peel out of the parking lot because we realize that they're there for us. And we just go on this like high speed. <laughs> we think it's a chase, but it's really not. We just go on this like high speed drive down the road and we pull into another parking lot and we get out and we go back to the club that we were at. And uh, I really thought that night was going to be the last night of me as a free man. And I'm 29 now. So I think... If uh, if I had gone to jail back then, I would still be in jail for another three years. So I would just be getting out in uh, in 2026 if they sent me for 10 years. Anyway, so yeah, I always I always felt really sketchy about that, but it didn't stop me from smoking weed. What I would do is I would buy the weed and then I would store it in a wall at my friend's house. He had a uh, stone wall outside the house and he had one of my other friends had brought me like a tiny little novelty pipe from Amsterdam, but it was like a wooden pipe that looked so stupid. And he was like, yeah, just uh, be careful with this, you know, but it, it, it'll be fine. It was like super small. So anyway, I used to just hide it in the wall and I could never find it because I was, uh, I was always like so tired from smoking so much weed. So I would just be like, standing in front of the wall of his house all the time trying to find my weed in the morning so I could smoke. And so, um, yeah, those, I would say that those are like two main things that really like shocked me when I moved there was like how hard it was to go on dates and also the, the weed policies. But there were so many pluses of living there. The nature was incredible. The people were super nice. People seemed genuinely engaged and interested in getting to know you but the circles were really small. And um, a lot of Mauritians, like Franco-Mauritians, spend time outside of Mauritius. You know, they go to they go to Europe, for instance, because, you know, they can live easily in, in France or they go to Australia um, because it's very common for them to study in Australia. So a lot of them are very worldly, but they just tend to kind of keep to themselves, um, especially when they move back because they already have like really close friends that they've known for a long time. And what I thought was interesting was when I would go to parties, I would look around and I almost never saw anyone on their phones at parties. And I always thought that was so cool because like if you went to a party in the US, everyone was like, everyone was looking at their phones or a lot of people were looking at their phones, which meant that there wasn't like as much engagement. Like even at, even at parties, in the US, sometimes you'll be talking to somebody and they'll just be on their phone 
and you're just like pretty much having a conversation with yourself, which now that I've been doing this podcast for so long, I think I'd be fine at actually just talking even if the other person wasn't listening. But back in 2016, I would have definitely found that to be rude. So yeah, on the topic of um, of dating, I did eventually meet a girl from France and she was she was the I don't exactly know but it was like my my friend who I was staying with's dad's like maybe like business associate I think maybe it was his business associate's niece or something but anyway she was staying there um in a different part of the island and one day either my friend's dad or my friend's mom was like hey I don't know if you're interested but there's this really nice girl and she's staying um, in the middle of the island and she, I think she's your age and yeah, she's just looking for people to hang out with. And I was like, uh, yeah, obviously, are you fucking kidding me? So I didn't know what she really looked like, but I was told that she was a cute girl and that she was nice. And so I go to pick her up one day and my my friend's brother, who's my boss at work, he lent me his truck when he was away on on holiday and he told me like you can just drive my truck around no worries you know just fill it up with gas when you need to but yeah it's yours so I made this trip like I I planned a a date I don't know if she knew it was the date but I planned a date where we would go um, parasailing on a different part of the island and we would just like take a tour of the island in the truck and this girl was, man, she was super beautiful. She was petite. She had like a birthmark or like a beauty mark on like near her, her mouth, like in a very like French kind of cartoony way, but like just a really beautiful face, really nice smile. And yeah, she was just, uh, she was super nice, or at least I thought so. I mean, she was. <laughs> um, and so yeah, we went parasailing, which was a really fun time, but kind of scary for me because I don't like heights at all. And there's such a buildup when you're going parasailing because like, you know, there's the platform that's just floating in the middle of the ocean or the sea or whatever. And you're just like standing on the platform. You have all of the um, gear that they kind of um, clip, they clip you in to. And you have the parachute behind you. And then you're just waiting for the boat to come pick you up to uh, um, to take you parasailing. And so like I'm just waiting there with her and we're like talking and stuff. But in my mind, I'm like actually so scared. And I really didn't enjoy that feeling. And so anyway, they finally come pick us up. And it was actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I really enjoyed um, the time. Um, we talked a lot. We laughed a lot, blah, blah, blah. And at some point we were like driving back up the island so I could drop her off. And in in uh, Mauritius, you drive on the left side of the road instead of the right side of the road. So it's like the English way. And the bus was like pulled over on the left side of the road at the bus stop. Like, so you can imagine, I mean, it's kind of weird, but yeah, the bus is pulled over on the left and I'm just trying to go around the bus and there's traffic on my right. And so the bus starts pulling back into the street and the traffic is 
like consistent. So I have really nowhere to go at this one point as I'm trying to go around the bus. And I end up like hitting the mirror of the truck on the bus. And I look at the mirror and it's fine. It, it actually had just like snapped back. So it was a foldable mirror. It had snapped back onto the truck. So I lowered the window. I pushed the mirror back to where it was supposed to go. And we kept driving. The next morning, I go to get into the truck, maybe to go to the gym. And I just see like this pot, like this puddle of like the bluest water that I've ever seen next to the truck. And as I approach the puddle, I realize that it's not water. It's a reflection of the sky because it was a really sunny day and the mirror had actually fallen off. Just the, just the mirror itself, not the actual plastic, the mirror had fallen off and yeah, it was just in the, in the street next to the truck. So I called up because my boss was still away. I called up, um, the, the person that I worked with who was pretty much his assistant. And I was like, Hey, uh, I kind of knocked the mirror off the truck (laughs) and she's like, uh, okay, we'll bring it in and we'll figure out how to get it repaired. So, so we did. And, and then I guess like fun fact was like a couple months after I left Mauritius. So I felt like such an idiot, right. For knocking this mirror off because it just made me feel like I was like the worst driver ever. And my boss also probably thought I was such an idiot for knocking his mirror off. Two months after I get back from Mauritius, my boss texts me and he's like, you're never going to believe this, but I also knocked my mirror off. (laughs) So I actually didn't feel so stupid anymore. And uh, yeah, that was just a little fun fact. But for me, um, I really, really enjoyed hanging out with that girl. And at one one night I, I had a party at the house just like some people over the house. And as we're listening to music and stuff, you know, the the French girl's over and I'm thinking, you know, tonight's going to be the night. Um, but nothing happens between us. She does stay over because she, as I mentioned, she lives in the middle of the island and that was like a 40 minute drive. So the next morning I'm cooking breakfast, I'm making eggs and she's like, uh, are you cooking? And I was like, yeah, do you, do you want me to make you something? She's like, what are you making? And I told her and she's like, yeah, you can make me eggs. I was like, okay. So I start making her eggs and I put pepper on them. And while she's eating them, she just like kind of stops chewing. And she looks at me with like such a disgusted look. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she goes, too much pepper. And I was like, holy shit, I fucking hate this girl. <laughs> I like actually felt like she was so rude in that moment. But you have to also remember I'm American. And at that time I'd never really met too many French people. Now I just know she was super French, but uh, I just thought that she was super impolite. Haters will say they're one and the same, but I don't want to make those kinds of broad uh, generalizations on this podcast. Yeah. So after she said too much Pepe, I, uh, stopped wanting to hang out with her <laughs> and um yeah and nothing was going to happen between us anyway it was pretty obvious that there was nothing there so she eventually went back um to France later that summer and 
yeah, I kind of just like spent like the last few weeks like hanging out. I was like, you know, kind of like going clubbing a lot, but like there aren't that many clubs. And I was making friends with like, you know, some interesting characters on the island. Like one of my friends was, I think the second or the third best trail runner in all of Mauritius. And he was sponsored by Garmin. And because Mauritius has so much um, elevation and it also has like really crazy natural, um, like uh, nature parks, Garmin, you know, has quite a, quite a presence there. So anyway, he was sponsored by Garmin and he would take me on these like really long hikes because he was also a tour guide for like hikes. And yeah, we had like a really nice friendship. He was a, a super cool dude. But he just showed me so much of the island that I probably would have never seen if I hadn't put myself um, out there and if I hadn't met him. So that was always uh, a really good time to like hang out with him. It's when I got into trail running because the cool thing about Mauritius is that so many people there, especially the Franco Mauritians, are in like incredible shape. Like the men and the women are incredible shape. Um, and they'll just, you know if you didn't know, you would just think that they were like normal people, but I can tell you they're like superhumans. Like my friend's brother, he used to be a professional cyclist and then he got injured and he became like a runner and we would go for these runs together through the um, nature reserve and he would always fucking kick my ass. I would always be out of breath and dying. And that's like when I got into trail running and yeah, I mean, I just have so many memories of going through these forests in the middle of um, in the middle of the day or early in the morning, and just seeing like crazy stuff that I would have probably never seen. I would have probably never been able to find that kind of biodiversity in the U.S. There were monkeys. There were I mean, it's a tropical climate, so you can imagine some of the animals that you see there and some of the noises that you hear. But it was always very, very blissful. And my friend's house was situated. Um, on a hill that overlooked that really famous mountain in the lagoon that I mentioned. So my views every morning were insane. They had this pool that was also um, like set up in such a way where it like it was flat and it looked like, I don't even know how to put it. The height of the pool was perfect where it almost just looked like it was a continuation of the landscape. So if you were walking out the door, it just looked like it was like a lake in a, in like from a certain angle. But then as you got closer to it, you realized it was a pool that was on the edge overlooking this entire like valley area. It was just really beautiful. And um, yeah, being in Mauritius was one of those experiences that I will never forget. And it was super eye-opening for me when I was there. But I think it was even more eye-opening for me after I got back. So coming back was really tough for me because, you know, I went from being this kid that had never left the country to going to a faraway place that most people have never heard of. And I had such an incredible experience. I got a job offer to return to Mauritius to work for the same company. Um, But I decided to decline it because I knew that I wasn't going to earn money pretty much. And I wasn't going to be able to afford to live there. So yeah, I uh, eventually declined it. And I would have conversations with my friends. And like, I just felt like I was changed. Like, I felt like I was like a basic white girl that studies abroad. Um, 
one thing that I thought was interesting was like I started smoking cigarettes that summer. And so when I came back to the States, I bought rolling paper and, and tobacco and I started um, smoking. And I noticed like in the, in the car ride home when my mom was driving me back upstate, uh, upstate New York, she was smoking at that time. And so I actually looked over at her as she was smoking and I immediately uh, took all the tobacco that I had and the papers. And when we got to the gas station, I just threw it all away. It just felt so, so bad somehow, you know, like it was fun when I was in Mauritius, but it was, that wasn't really something that I wanted to be doing anymore. And um, the other thing too is like, when I returned to Michigan, I was in a fraternity. You know, a lot of my friends, you know, they had interned in, in, in cool companies in big cities and stuff in the U.S. But I, I felt like all of a sudden I just became the most interesting person in the room because people would ask me like what I, how Mauritius was because they had seen photos and stuff. Uh, and I would try to explain to them, but I felt like nobody understood me. So it was this really weird thing where like, people wanted to know what it was like to live in Mauritius and like how it was. And if I was at a party and, and I was talking to somebody and like a girl, you know, that I knew would ask, I would just be like, okay, where do I start? And I would start to try to explain. And then I would realize that there's no way that I would be able to put into words, like how that experience made me feel. So yeah, nobody understood me, but everybody wanted to know more. And I just felt like kind of isolated in a really weird way. And then my girlfriend at the time, like she, who became my girlfriend, I should say, the girl that I met in my junior year at Michigan, she and I had like a like a strange start to the relationship. Like I just felt like it was just it was a lot because we had talked so much over the summer, but we hadn't really spent too much time together, and yeah, it was just really really tough. Um, there was a a lot of repression that happened over that summer because of how conservative the society was. So like with dating, for instance, I just felt like I, yeah, I just like wanted to go back to like the way that things were in the, in the States essentially. So I felt like I kind of like went into like crazy mode. Um, eventually we did become boyfriend and girlfriend. So it wasn't like anything. It wasn't like I went on like a streak and started dating like a bunch of different people, but yeah, I just felt like in that way I was a little bit repressed. And then the other way that I was repressed was with drugs. And like the minute that I got back um, to my to the town where I grew up, not the town where my mom lived, um, the minute that I got back, I was like, where where can I um, where can I get weed? And I also ended up doing LSD and just having like the worst trip of my life. And so I can finally, I think I can finally understand now how there's that stereotype that exists with girls that uh, are like, you know, Catholic school girls that finally break out of their shell and they just like go crazy, you know, that they have just been repressed for so long that when they finally get a chance um, to, to, to do something that's like considered bad behavior, they can't help themselves. It's kind of like um, Rumspringen, I think is what it's called, when the Amish people finally have the chance to leave the community. They're encouraged. 
and it's just like a rite of passage where you leave the community and you get to see the rest of the world. And a lot of them just go crazy, you know, like they, they'll smoke meth, they will have a ton of sex, but they will often um, return, they will often return to the community because that's just how it is. Like it's, your entire life is in that community. So even though they, they go crazy for a bit, they still come back. And that's kind of how I felt in a way where I was like, holy shit, I just want to do so much and see so much and, you know, have sex. But anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, so that was just something that's been on my mind a lot recently. It was such a cool experience for me to get to meet all these different people and to, I think it's like something that has served me so well ever since. Because now that I live in Berlin and I, I've been here for three years, I'm not afraid to meet people. I'm not afraid to go out and, you know, have new experiences. And I owe so much of that to that experience in Mauritius because I made so many friends that summer that I would still hang out with now. I would still love to have phone calls with them. And sometimes I do. Um, I still do catch up with some of the people that I met there, but it kind of just made me realize like, even if you're somewhere really far away, people are just people everywhere you go. And it's not that difficult to connect with people once you understand um, that you have like more in common than you do differences. <sighs> well, I think that's all I have to say today about Mauritius, but I hope that you found this episode to be somewhat exciting and um, maybe it was even refreshing for you that I stayed on the same topic of Mauritius rather than jumping around a million times. But I'd love to hear any of your thoughts you guys have. And I'm going to jump off because it's Saturday and there is a lot to do today. And I just want to get some other stuff achieved or accomplished um, before the day continues. I hope that if you listen to this over the weekend, that you have a nice rest of your weekend. Whatever day it is, enjoy the rest of it. And uh, I'll catch you guys in the next episode. See ya.